Hello, welcome to the Spirit of Praise broadcast coming to you from Tabernacle of Praise Church International, York, South Carolina. I'm Bishop Alfred Jackson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in today. I pray that the message uh, will bless you and impact your life in a powerful way. Again, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the message. Considering me worth saving for, worth dying for, worth cleaning me up inside. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blood that never loses its power. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Mm. Thank you for being the only wise and sufficient sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for justifying me. Through the work that you did on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. can tell everyone I know. Glory to the name of Jesus. Yes. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Hallelujah. Verses 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Focusing particularly on verse 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I want to talk about from humiliation to restoration. Hallelujah. From humiliation to restoration. Lord, thank you for your word and the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that when your word goes forth, it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes all that you desire. Thank you for prospering your word and the things that you sent your word to. Thank you for sending your word to us today. Thank you for what your word will accomplish. Now, Lord, please grant me a fresh anointing of your spirit so that I can minister your word under your anointing. And through your anointing, we believe that every 
We believe that God, that every yoke will be destroyed. Every burden will be removed so that we can live for you and glorify you and always remember you as the Lord our God. Thank you, Father, who gives us the power to get wealth. Thank you, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, before I go into the message, I wanna, we want to have a brief meeting with the parents and grandparents, uh, whoever is responsible for children uh, today concerning a project that Children's Church is doing. Amen. And we just want to encourage you also, as I've mentioned several times, to make sure that you're plugged in with the team captain for our missions fundraiser that will culminate at the end of, of this month. Uh, plug in with the team captain and make a contribution so that we can meet and exceed our goal uh, for building our headquarters church in Guinea. Praise the Lord. Our teams are working really hard. Sister Baxter asked me this morning if I was going to beat her. I said, I don't know. I'm just doing what I'm doing. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanking the Lord for the opportunity to serve and to be a blessing to the body of Christ, not just here in the United States, but in many other parts of the world. And we thank God for what he is doing. Amen. To glorify his name and advance his kingdom. So today, I want to minister this. this I mentioned this in, in, the message, in the message last Sunday, a message that I ministered in Dominican Republic, but the Lord just laid it on my heart uh, to minister this word again uh, here this morning. Some of you may have, may have heard the broadcast from DR, but I, I kind of believe the Lord will minister it in a different way today. Um, might be the same, it might be different, but I think it's, uh, the Lord has just impressed this in my spirit that this is an important message for the body of Christ to hear because we don't hear a lot about humiliation from a spiritual perspective. And it's so critical that we as believers understand, uh, and not just believers, but, but non-believers uh, as well, but non-believers may not pay attention. But what God does, he definitely wants his children to, to pay attention uh, because there's a purpose in whatever God does. He does nothing by accident, and we must understand that. And in the midst of learning to live by faith, we have to understand that because God will allow things or God will do things to get us to a place where we can really trust him. Uh, sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And that's just, that's just human nature. Uh, and especially sometimes in the body of Christ, when we're doing well, and people are praising us and people are telling us how gifted we are if we're not careful, we can tell ourselves that we're not allowing this to turn inward, but, but, but God knows what we don't know, and God sees what we don't see. And so God allows things to happen in our lives to humble us, amen, and to keep us humble because this is a, this is a process, uh, this is a place that God's children have to be all of our lives. It's not just something, a level you get to, and then you just stay there. You got to keep working at this thing. You have to keep working at humility. Because if you don't keep working at humility, uh, the devil, we got three enemies. 
the, the devil, the world, and the flesh. Amen. Well, you might say the whole thing is the devil, but it, <laughs> you got to understand these enemies and how they work in your life, the devil, the world, and the flesh. So uh, we can't always blame the devil. He may be behind a whole lot of stuff, but sometimes it's the world and our associations with the world, and all of us are associated with the world in some way or another because we work on jobs, we go to school, we go to Walmart, we go to Belk, we, go, we watch television, you know, we listen to music. We're associated with the world. And then you got to deal with this flesh. You have to deal with the flesh that will rise up and make you think that you're more than what you are. Amen. I, I, I'm not saying that I am the most humble person in the world, but one of the things in ministry and all of my life, I've always tried to maintain and understand the attitude and understand and have the attitude that, that, that I have to be humble before the Lord. I don't care. I know that there are preachers that preach better than me. I know there are teachers that teach better than me. But I just want to be faithful to the Lord, and I want the Lord to use me where I am. I'm not trying to be anybody else. I don't want to be anybody else. Amen? Uh, at this point in my life, I just want to get to the finish line. And amen. I hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I'm not in competition with anyone and don't need to be in competition with anyone because this is the Lord's work. This is the Lord's church. Amen? This, the, these are the Lord's people, and God shares his glory with nobody. Amen, and we have to understand that. So we want to talk about this humiliation, uh, from humiliation to restoration. Uh, and it's important as we get to the end of the message to know that if God humbles us, it's to, it's to restore, what did I say, from humiliation to restoration? If he humbles us, it is to restore us, amen? We might think of exaltation. Let's get exaltation out of our minds because that's what people want to get to. They want to be exalted. The only person who needs to be exalted is Jesus, Amen, amen, amen. In the process, the Lord may lift us, the Lord may exalt us, but that should not be our focus. Because when exaltation gets in our minds, then, 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 then we're, open, we're open to being lifted up in pride. We're very open because we, we're thinking, I was debased, now I want to be exalted. No, you just need to be restored and let God do what he wants to do in the midst of your restoration. Now, you, uh, some preacher on Facebook, somebody listening to me may not agree with me. Hey, let me tell you something. The love of money is the root of all evil. So if you're looking to be rich, be careful because that is the root of all evil. Amen. And think about the number of programs, the number of ministries, the number of things that have taught us that we should be rich. Amen. And so then you got to be careful about that. Oh, it's all right. You said, well, you just quoted. God said he gives us power to get wealth. Well, but if he gave me the power to get wealth, who gets the glory? The one who gave the power, not because I got wealthy. And why did he give me wealth? He gave me wealth because he only gives wealth to fund his work. So the more you have, the more you should be giving. Amen. No, not buying a vacation home. No, not, not having 10 vacations a year. No, if he gave you more, he gave you more to give to fund the work of his kingdom. If he trusted you enough with your wealth. So we have to be really careful with this process because the devil is in the midst of this trying to get us to get lifted up above ourselves and fail to give God glory. Not just with lips. God is not looking for lip service. 
He's not looking for lip service. He's looking for heart service. He's looking for that heart that is right with him. Now, let's go into this word because I, I will have preached 30 minutes and I haven't even gotten into the, to the meat of the message. But, but listen to this. Now, so when we talk about humiliation, and it's important for us to talk about this, understand this, the definition of humiliate is to hurt someone's pride. All right? To hurt someone's pride or to cause someone to feel extremely embarrassed. This is the worldly definition. This is the definition you get out of, the, out of Webster or American Heritage Dictionary or what have you. Um, to hurt the pride or dignity of a person, by, or it could be a person, it can go a group of people, it can even be a nation, as we will see as we look at the scripture, uh, or if we look at the United States of America, you know, sometimes we don't see what God is doing but God is trying to humiliate us. God is trying to humble us. God is trying to get us in America to lift our eyes up to him and recognize him as God and stop giving him lip service. But, but the church has to go back to the, to the word of God and start preaching the word of God in the context of the word of God so that the nation can see how God moves and how God operates. So he can humiliate a group of people. He can humiliate a church congregation. He can humiliate a nation. But if God does it, God always does it for a purpose. He always does it for a purpose. To humiliate, to injure a person's dignity or self-respect. The act of humbling, humiliation is the act of humbling a person, a group, or a nation. Okay, And remember that God never humiliates just to have you humiliated. God is not about making us ashamed just for us to be ashamed. There's always a purpose behind what God is doing. God is not trying to hurt a person's pride just for pride to be hurt. But that word pride is key in this process because you can't really understand fully the whole purpose of God humiliating a person until you understand how God feels about pride. Amen. Proverbs chapter 11 verse, 12, verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29 and 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Hallelujah, but a haunted spirit and a haunted spirit before a fall. Verse Proverbs 8 and 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, God says, I hate. Now we get to the meat of this thing. God hates pride. God hates a haunted spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Um, uh, Proverbs 16 and 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Romans 12 and 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is how God feels about pride. And even when we get to the point, we think, I know it. I got it. That's being wise in our own sight. Never be wise in your own sight because you could have missed something. 
Amen. You could have missed something with all that you know, with all the experience that you think you've had, you could have missed something. Pride is not always expressed negatively in, 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 the entire, in, in, uh, in a negative quality in the Bible. It can carry a positive connotation of self-worth, self-respect, and self-confidence. The Apostle Paul communicated a positive sense of pride when speaking to the, pe- to the believers at Corinth when he said, I have the highest confidence in you. It's 2 Corinthians 7 and 4. And I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. So there is in a positive context. But look at the context that the Paul is saying, I take pride in you. I'm happy. I'm glad about what's happening in your life. And by you, the point that you've come to, that you're able to encourage me. So when I say to you, I, I, I take pride in what God is doing in your life, I'm giving God credit. Here it's not negative. All right, it's not negative. Pride becomes sinful when it is excessively self-focused and self-elevating. This kind of pride is what most often appears in the Bible. The biblical sin of pride refers to a high or exalted attitude, the opposite of humility. I'm better than you. I'm God's greatest. I'm God's gift to humanity. I'm this, I'm that. We spend a lot of time in church trying to build people's self-esteem, which is good. But we can't build people's self-esteem to the point that it's all about them. Has to be about God. Has to be about what God is doing, what God wants to do in a person's life. You see, pride brings forth idolatry. And its destruction is idolatry's cure. So when pride is destroyed, you're cured from idolatry. How does pride bring forth idolatry? Because pride elevates its owner to find God and his ways as unnecessary, too restrictive, boring, beneath his intelligence, his or her intelligence, beneath his or her station in life, or beneath his and her needs. It leads that person to choose his own way. You say, Bishop, you ain't talking about me. We'll just keep on listening. Prayerfully, we have, we, we, we've come to the cure of pride in our lives, but part of the problem is that most people who are prideful don't recognize their pridefulness. Most people think they're all right in their own eyes. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so it, 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 pride brings a person, and this is why pride brings forth idolatry. It leads a person to, to, to choose their own way, to do their own thing, to say, I am my own man. I am my own woman. This is my life. I live it the way I want to live it. Nobody can tell me anything. That's prideful. That means that you have set yourself up as your own God. There is no sovereign God. There is no supreme being that you bow to. Because now, because of pride in your life, you have set yourself up as your own God. And the Bible says, God says, you shall have no other God before me. You can be, you can set yourself up as an idol God. 
That's why God hates pride. Now, let's think about all of the people you know. Think about people who reject God. And we're not standing in judgment on people. Think about the, 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 the attitude that's, that's pervasive in the United States of America. This is my life. I do what I want to do. This whole issue with abortion and abortion rights, we, the, the government has denied women the right to do what they want to do with their own bodies. Whose bodies? That's why I said the other Sunday, Christians, Christians must be careful which side you lean to. The word of God says you've been bought with a price. Your body does not belong to you. Be careful which side of the, which side of the issue you stand on. If you're a Christian, you got to stand on God's side. Amen. You can't take the government side. I don't care if the Democrats did push it. The Democrats are wrong with this issue and wrong with a whole lot of other political and social issues. When it comes to the word of the Lord, Joshua said, and I preached it last Sunday, I think it was, choose you this day whom you will serve. A lot of Christians got to make up their minds about whether they're really serving God, the God of the Bible, or the idol God that they've set up. You see, you see, when it comes to Christianity, and you, you, when it comes to Christianity, you can't be political. You got to be Christian. You got to be Christian. So you just can't decide, this is my life. I will live it the way I want to live it. That means now you're your own God. Your own God. Pride is viewed as a great sin and rebellion against God because it presumes to possess excellence and glory that only belongs to God. When I say this is my body, this is my life, I live it the way I want to live it, I do what I want to do, nobody has a right to tell me what to do. Then I am presuming the excellence and glory that only belongs to God. Because now I know. Now I'm in a place of power. Now I'm in a place of authority. So I know what is right with my own, for my own body, my own life. I know what is right in my own mind for my life. Let's go a little bit further. Is this making any sense to anybody? In the book of Obadiah, Obadiah is just one book, so I can't say chapter one, but it's just one, one chapter. But when you look at Obadiah, God is dealing with the nation of Edom. Edom has exalted herself. Edom, the people, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. All right? The Edomites, at the time of this prophecy, prophecy they're living in the mountainous regions. They, they built their home in caves in the mountains, and they feel invulnerable. All right? They feel like nobody can destroy them. They feel like they can, that, that uh, no nation that will come up against them will be able to destroy them. But in the book of Obadiah, let me, let me get there. 
This is the vision, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. For I will make you small among the nations. God says, Edom, the Edomites have gotten so lifted up in pride. God says, I'm going to make you small among the nations. I'm coming. Now, you know, this is what people in the world today don't see. You see, God does not have to come directly and do a thing. Here, God causes an ambassador from another nation to start a confederation with other nations to come up against the Edomites. The, the, the Bible, we've heard a message from the Lord. Verse 2, see, I will make you small. God, God is doing this. God is, God is going to humiliate the Edomites. God is going to bring the Edomites down because they are not exalting him. They are lifted up in pride. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. Who declares it? The Lord declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. Oh, the danger of us in the United States is we think we're the greatest nation in the world. We think that we can do whatever we want to do, wherever we want to do it, however we want to do it. We neglect God. God doesn't have to just come and destroy us. God will send judgment upon us to, upon us to bring us down. You know what? Anytime God wants to stop the forest fires, he can just, the fires will stop. Anytime God wants to stop the flooding, God could, it will stop. Anytime God wants to stop uh, COVID, uh, the pandemic, it will stop. Anytime God wants to stop monkeypox, it will stop. But maybe God sends these things to humiliate us, to bring us down, to humble us. Because we have gotten too big for our own good. The old, old people used to say about young people when they, you know, when we got, we can stop being disobedient to our parents, you know, you're smelling yourself. You're getting too big for your own britches. And then eventually, I've heard my mama say, let them go. Just let them go. The Lord will bring them down. The Lord will bring them in. Because you get to a point sometimes where people will not listen to what you're trying to say to them. Amen. You don't have to stop loving them, but you have to, you have to step back and let the processes of God take control. You know, it's a dangerous thing. Now, now for people in the world, yes, it's dangerous. But for people who've been brought up in the Lord, for people, for children, 
And I want our young people, if any of our young people are listening today, for children who've been brought up in the Lord, children who know the word of God, who know what's right, for you to go your own way and do your own thing, you're putting yourself in a dangerous position. Amen. It's, oh my goodness. Uh, who is that wrote? It's a dangerous thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Uh, we say God is love, but God is a God of wrath. And sometimes because of our disobedience, because of our willfulness and our wayfulness, and we begin to establish ourselves as our own gods, and we say, this is my life. I can live it like I want to live it. I can do what I want to do. But you confess Jesus one day as your Savior and your Lord. You said, Lord, save me. Come into my life. And now because of the influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil, you've gone the wrong way. God's going to bring you down. God's going to humble you because God loves you. You see, we got to see the love of God in this process. If God didn't love you, he just let you go. If God didn't love you, he let the devil have control of your life. If God didn't love you, he would let the devil kill you. He would let the devil destroy you. He would let the devil do everything he wanted to do in your life and take you to hell. But because God loves you, He'll humble you. God will humble you. It's not to kill you. It's not to make you shame before people. Oh, my God, help us today. We worried about folk being ashamed in church for coming up and confessing. So we, we got rid of it because people were ashamed and their feelings were hurt. You're not ashamed to do what you do in the world. You're not ashamed to live like you're living in the world. You're not ashamed to... to, to, to you get what I'm saying? God is not about shaming you. God is about restoring you. But sometimes it takes shame. We want to fight with the church about stuff. We won't fight with the world. Because we're so used to the commonality of the world. That familiar spirit with the world. God help us. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that anyway. I'm saying what I'm saying. Well, we, we, we took the wrong side of the battle. We took the wrong side of the battle. Nobody wants to be ashamed anymore. God will bring you down. And the preacher can't stop it. Your mama can't stop it. Your daddy can't stop it. All of your good friends can't stop it. God will humble you. But he's humbling you for a purpose. Oh, yeah. The Edomites' pride, because of their pride, God says, I'm going to humble you. Now, now remember, remember, God always gives people chances to repent. He always does. So when we read about Edom, this is not like this the first time God has spoken to them. Okay. It's not. God, is, God sends prophet after prophet to the children of Israel, to his people, you know, but they won't listen. People won't listen. But God says, I will do it. And we got to see this. Sometimes we say it's the devil, and we got to know the difference, but we got to see when God is at work, when God is humbling us. And remember, God humbles us for a purpose. Pride in the Hebrew, uh, uh, here in verse 3, the pride that he's talking about here in, in, in Obadiah, is the word Zadon from the root 
Zaid, if I'm pronouncing it, Zaid. Uh, it, it, it's translated cooked. It's translated cooked. Um, uh, and like in Genesis chapter 29, 25 verse 29, where Jacob, Jacob cooked a stew. You remember the, the time when, when Esau sold his birthright. Uh, J- Jacob cooked a stew uh, that, that, that Esau desired. Esau had been out hunting or whatever, and he was famished. He came in, and, and, and of course, uh, uh, Jacob's mama was behind us. Don't be behind your children in their mess. Be behind, be behind your children in their good things. I know you love your children, but don't follow them up in mess. You know, tell them the truth. Amen. Because the truth makes them free. Amen. You don't have to stop loving them. You love them, but tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Amen. That very truth that you t- said to them will never leave their mind. I don't care what they do. That truth that you spoke, that word that you spoke will stay in their minds and God will use that to bring them back one day. Oh, but what they go through while they're trying to come back. Lord, have mercy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't be sitting up in here like you never went through anything. When you went back out there in your sins, God allowed you to go through some things. God took you through some stuff, amen, to bring you back because if he had let you go, you never would have come back. That sin was feeling good. Amen. That sin was tasting good. Don't let anybody tell you that sin is nasty and sin. Yeah, it's nasty, but it's going to have a good taste to it sometime. It's going to have a good feeling to it sometime. But we are not called to live by feeling or by taste. We are called to live by faith. Ooh, God help us today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 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 um, so Jacob cooked the stew. He boiled the stew. Um, and it could, the word b- could be better translated boiled. When he, like when heat is applied to water, it boils, right? Yeah, it's, it boils. You're cooking something, and, and I was cooking some corn last night, some stewed corn last night, and turned my pot on high so it could boil and begin to rise up. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's from this process that the Hebrews gained their understanding of pride, okay? So pride is like, you know, uh, this, 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 this feeling, this attitude, that it, it began to rise up. It began to boil in a person and rise up in a person. And the more that heat is applied to it, the more it bubbles and boils, that's what pride is in one's life. It starts out small. It starts out simmering. But the more you allow the heat to be applied to pride, the more you're building yourself up. Amen. And a lot of people don't want to be humble. They want to build themselves up. And I, but the Bible says build yourself up in your most holy faith, not in who you think you are. Amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, this Esau selling his, his birthright was rooted in his pride. It was rooted in his pride. Esau became heated and angry, and it manifested itself in haughtiness, arrogance, and pride. Oh, God, thank you. So you become heated and angry. Something happens. Well, let's think about us when we were children, when our parents wouldn't let us do what we wanted to do, and we became angry with our parents. We became heated. We got into a heated argument. 
and we became angry. And that's when we began to talk about, this is my life. They just don't want me to have friends. They just don't want me to be my own man. They just don't want me. So you become heated, and it becomes, begin to boil inside of you. You get involved in lust, sexual immorality. The Bible talks about that fire. It begins to burn inside of you. It begins to boil up. That's why it's so hard to break it. Pride. Then you begin to say, this is my body. I can do what I want to do. Mm. But look what God says. God declares that, that no matter how high How mighty Edom becomes, God says, I will bring you down. I'll bring you down. So what God does with a prideful person, a prideful nation, a prideful group of people, it is that he removes all the physical accomplishments of the self-exalted person. Anyone who glories in himself will receive the true reward in the form of condemnation, debasement, degradation, and humiliation. So it's from this context that we have to understand pride and its negative impact and effects in a person's life. But it's also in this context that we should see and can see, or maybe we should just elevate the love and the mercy and the grace of God at work in a person's life to bring that person back to him. Deuteronomy, a text chosen for today. Uh, Chapter 8. God says, remember how the Lord your God, this is Moses, but God said it to Moses, so Moses had to write it. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to do what? To humble you and test you. The Lord your God led you these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Now, some translations it for God to know what God already knows what's in our hearts. The problem is we don't know what's in our hearts. We don't know what's in our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. That's why we can have a higher estimation of ourselves than we ought to have. Now listen, don't y'all just sit up and look at me. If I ain't talking about you, say amen. If I'm talking about you, say amen too. Amen. This is food for the soul. And this, these are messages that the church world today needs to hear because we are caught up in pride. We are caught up in pride. God says, uh, to humble you, know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. He humble you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither your ancestors, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man shall, does not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He goes on to say, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years, 
Know then in your heart that as, the, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Moses was saying to the children of Israel, the 40 years that you spent in the wilderness, God did this. You need to know what was in your heart. You, had, you know how, the, how Hebrew people, how the Jewish people felt? They were, they were God's chosen people. Now they should have learned while they were in Egypt that they needed to trust God, all right? But all of them didn't learn that because when God brought them out and they got in the wilderness, they began to murmur and complain and wanted to go back to Egypt. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? They even built, had Aaron build a golden calf, make a golden calf, and they worshiped the calf. They forgot the Lord their God. But notice here, he says, God did this. God did this to humble you. God wants to humble his people. Amen. By means of trials, God seeks to help us see our need and see our dependence on him. Not just one day, but every day. This is, this is something that we must learn in life. The physical and spiritual life. We depend on God to supply our need. And our reactions to trials reveals what's in our hearts. Amen. Our reaction to trials reveals what's in our hearts, what, re what really motivates us. Humiliation proves what's really there. God puts us in distress to make us become more aware of our needs. He wants to see whether we will live by the faith that we have professed that we have. Trevor and I were talking the other day. I like to talk to Trevor. I like to talk to anybody to talk about spiritual things. But we, we, we were talking about, we were talking about this, we were talking about going through, you know, and talking about living by faith. One of the things I was thinking about as I was talking to him, I said, you know, this is like a knife, you know, because I'm talking about Christians and why we have to go through. You know, you can use a knife and just use a knife and just use a knife. And after a while, you get accustomed to using that knife and it's not as sharp as it used to be. So what do you need to do? Do what? Have to sharpen it, right? How many of you got sharpening stones at your house? Well, my goodness, if, how you going to sharpen? Okay, you got one. How you going to sharpen your knives if you don't have a sharpening stone? But let me tell you something. Sometimes as Christians, and I realize this in my own life, because I'm constantly doing, constantly ministering, it, I'm constantly, and I thank God, I believe God is using me, but then God has to take me and put me to the, put me to the sharpening block. Amen? I, I need to be sharpened so that I can remain keen and remain, remain relevant and remain effective. I just can't keep on being used and used and used and cutting this and cutting that and cutting another thing and used for this and used for that and used for the other without God stepping in. I said the owner of the knife has to take the knife and sharpen it. 
and sharpening this. If we were the knife on the sharpening block, we would realize that it's not a, it's not a smooth process. It's not an easy process. I used to watch my daddy sharpen his chainsaws. And sometimes he would get on that saw and he'd be sharpening so hard, you see some sparks flying. But it would make the chainsaw cut the tree better. And he wasn't cutting little trees. He was cutting big trees. God prunes us. This is a part of the humiliation process for the believer. Do you think when you take a chainsaw or you take a saw, you take an axe, if the, if the tree could speak and you cut the limb off the tree, do you not think that hurts? Sometimes in the humiliation process, God, we feel hurt. But God is not going to destroy us. It's just part of the process. You prune a tree so that it bears more fruit. You cut out the excess leaves. Because sometimes things just get bushy. Oh, how many of you have ever planted a tomato plant? Okay, well, I'm in, in my farming mode now. So when, you, when, you, when the tomato plant is growing, there, there's a point where one leaf comes off the stem. If you're not careful, there's another little leaf that will grow up in here, another little stem that will grow up right in here. It's called a sucker. And it'll suck the strength from the rest of the plant. So you pluck it off so that the main stem becomes stronger and produces more fruit. When God prunes us, He's getting rid of the excess because in life we have excess. We have everybody in church that have told us that we are wonder. That's excess. We have everybody that has patted us on our back and told us we were the greatest musician or the greatest preacher or the greatest singer in the world. That's excess. God wants to get rid of that because he wants to use you in a greater manner so that he gets the glory and not you. We grew up in a church culture. We grew up in a church culture that exalted people and not God. Oh, we said, we're just exalting. We're just encouraging them to sing. No, you should be exalting God. Preacher preaching, here we are up in the church slapping the man on his back and standing up while he gets in high gear and up at the pulpit looking up in his eyes and preach, preacher. Oh, you know the culture we grew up in. We exalted man. We didn't exalt God. And now we look at the church today and wonder what the problem is. And some of us are stuck in that mode. God is trying to prune us so we be more effective. And it's not, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Sometimes I say, God, are you pruning tabernacle of praise? It doesn't, might feel good to y'all. It doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel good to me. When people can, you know, I don't want to go there. It doesn't feel good, but God has a purpose. God has a purpose. Whether it's to humble me, maybe I, maybe I thought too big of myself. You know, maybe, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, God, I just want you to be glorified. I want you to have your way. Because, because let, me, let me just go ahead and finish this. I'll be preaching 45 more minutes. Because when God finishes with the humiliation, when God finishes with the humility, with the pruning, with the cutting, with the sharpening, God restores. God restores. God restores. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? 
Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. Nebuchadnezzar had a great kingdom. One day he got up and he had already received the word from the Lord, you know, that he was going to divide his kingdom and separate it. Nebuchadnezzar got up one day and looked at his kingdom. The word of God said, I already sent the prophet say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drive you from among men until you eat, eat grass like animals and your, 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 your hair is going to grow like eagle's feathers. God had already sent the word. One day Nebuchadnezzar got up and looked at his kingdom and started talking about the glory of his kingdom and all of this was mine. And that same hour, God drove him from among men. And I, and I, I want to say it was seven years. He stayed out there until his, his claw, his fingernails were like eagle's claws. This hair was like bird, eagle's feathers. He was out of his mind and he was eating grass like an animal. Until he came back to his senses. I, I want to say, I know that God was dealing with, with it. Because I said, you know, God doesn't humiliate us just for the sake of humiliating us. God wants to restore us. The Bible says, until he lifted his eyes to heaven and gave glory to God. And God restored him. See, that's why we have to see the hand of mercy and grace in God's life. And sometimes people don't see it. You see, you got to be careful. That's why it's so dangerous when you're going through things to stay away from the house of the Lord. Because you need to sit under the word of the Lord. You need to be among the saints. You need to be in the worship. So even if you're doing wrong, the spirit of the Lord can minister to you. Somebody in that congregation can minister to you. The word of the Lord will minister to you so that your heart doesn't become hardened. Because your heart can become hardened. And you can allow these things to push you further away from God than bring you closer to God. Keep praying for your children. Keep praying for your sisters and your brothers and your aunts and your uncles that their hearts don't become hardened because God is trying to do something. While they are out there, while they are running from God, God is trying to do something in their lives. God wants to bring them back. They're going to go through and they're going to get to a point where you can't help them out. All you can do is feel sorry for them and pray for them. But keep praying so that don't, their hearts don't become hardened. Yeah. Yeah. So God, God, God is about restoration. Like the clay in the potter's hand. God wants to take our cracked and marred vessels and remold us into a vessel of honor, a vessel of good use. He's about restoration. He's about restoration. Yeah. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. God spoke to the, to the Hebrew people. For I will restore you. I will heal you of your wounds, saith the Lord. Because they call you an outcast saying, this is the Zion whom no man seeks after. God says to his people, I'll restore you. God is a God of restoration. He doesn't allow us to be put to shame for the sake of being put to shame. Well, we did it to ourselves. But he wants to restore us. He wants to restore us. Or he wants to build us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to sharpen us. We have to go through. If we don't go through, we'll never look up to God and give him glory. Rather than blaming God, children of God look up to God and say, God, I thank you. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I give you praise in the midst of it. 
and I will wait on you because I know your word. Your word says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God, I look to you. Hey, God is a God of restoration. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. That is in the context of Solomon praying for the, for the, uh, as he dedicates the temple. And he said, as he prayed to God, he prayed for the people. And he said, if my people, he talked about the people sinning. God, and he said to God, I know they're sinning because everybody sinned. So sometimes in the church, we get to the point, we act like we don't sin. But you didn't tell that thought you had that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have thought. You didn't tell about that stuff you were reading that you shouldn't have been reading. That place you went where you shouldn't have been going. But we come to church and we act like we're, we're so holy. Well, you should be holy. And I'm not going to condemn you, but, but we have to be careful about looking down our noses at other people and help people understand that we do understand what it's like to walk in this flesh, what it's like to be human beings. We do understand. So we can help you come up out of whatever it is you're going through. But he, Solomon said, the people will sin. He said, but... But, but, but if they sin and if they repent and come back to you, will you hear that prayer in essence? And God answered Solomon in, in chapter uh, 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear in heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God says, I'm willing. I am willing. I am willing. I know. I know your frame. I remember that you are dust. I am willing to restore you. I'm willing. Oh, restoration. <laughs> restoration is the act of repairing. It is the act of rehabilitation. It's the act of rebuilding, reconstructing, and redecoration of something uh, uh, to a good condition of operation. So when God restores, God wants to rehabilitate you. Don't come back to God acting like you're all right because you're not all right. There's still a process that has to be done in you. There's still some rehabilitation. There's some rebuilding, amen. There's some reconstruction like that clay on the potter's wheel that he molded and shaped into a vessel of good view. There is some redecoration somebody ought to shout hallelujah God wants to redecorate you <laughs> oh yeah God wants to redecorate God wants you to look good yeah not for your sake but for his sake God wants you to live good not for your sake but for his sake and when you do it for his sake it's going to turn out for your good Amen. When you live for Christ's sake it turns out for your good you will be benefited hmm God said in Isaiah 61, 16 and verse 7, for your shame, you shall have double. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. God has given somebody double. You've been through, but now you humble yourself to God. God's given somebody double. I don't know who it is, but God's giving somebody double. Because he didn't let you be shamed just to be shamed. He's doing something in your life. He's doing something in your life. God said to Job, uh, it said about Job, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Y'all looked at that thing. You see, Job's friends were the ones that came and accused him. So Job didn't get mad at his friends and start talking about his friends. 
Oh, you know what? This little, this tongue is a little member, but it creates a big, very big fire. Got to be careful what comes out of this mouth. Pray for those that despitefully use you. I've had to pray for some people that have hurt me. I've had to pray for people. And at first I didn't want to pray, but I remember the word of the Lord and I began to pray. And after a while, it got all right to pray. Oh, yes, I, I, wanted, I wanted God to deal with some folk. I wanted God to take some people out. But then I realized something. I'm flesh and blood, too. Just like people have hurt me, I've hurt other people. I began to pray for them. God, turn the captivity of Job. God is turning someone's captivity today. You turn back to him. Think about Job. Satan struck Job and Job lost everything he had. God restored his health. God gave him more children. The same amount that he had before, so he actually had double. The Bible says the latter, so God blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. Our lives, our inner life that needs restoration has faced trials, challenges, and losses. Life of struggle, life of crying, life of weeping, but God wants to restore. God wants to restore. God wants to restore. God wants to restore. Don't think that the things you experience in this world is giving you what you need to make it to the end of this life's journey. The people that don't love the Lord, they don't have the vision for God that you have. You need to walk away from them. God will put some people in your life that love him love you for who you are and that will strengthen you and encourage you in the midst of what you might be going through. The important thing is that we understand I said in the message somewhere along the way that most of the time prideful people don't think they're prideful. Sometimes saints don't think we don't think we're prideful. We can start getting lifted up in ourselves and who we are and what we can do and how much of a gift to the body that we are. It becomes our ministry. We are the healer. We are the anointing. We can do this. We can do that. We can do the other. That's pride. God will bring us down. God will humiliate us but he only humiliates us to restore us so that we come back to the place of doing just what Nebuchadnezzar did, exalting him. God said to the Hebrew people before they went through, when they got into the promised land, don't forget me. When you start doing well, don't forget me. 
when you start prospering, when you start eating the good of the land, don't forget me. Just remember, I'm the one who gives you power to get wealth. I'm the God that brought you out of bondage in, the, in Egypt. You went in poor. The problem with, with, with some of us, as you think about the Hebrew people, the ones that went into Egypt 400 years ago, the later ones didn't know the whole story. Sometimes we're not telling our children the whole story. They see us doing good. They don't know the struggles that we had to get, go through to get to where we are. They need to know the story. Because it was God. It was God. It was God. Sometimes I've said to my son, son, don't, whatever people have said to you going through this thing about, about church, I say, it's those same people that paid their tithes and their offerings, that paid my salary, that helped pay your tuition, helped put food on our table, and kept our bills paid. The same people. So be careful what you say. Be careful what you listen to. Because you see, the devil is busy. The devil, will, the devil comes after every, every preacher. The devil coming at your child. The devil sure come after the pastor's child. We don't realize that. People would say the pastor's children are the worst children in the world. They didn't realize that some of the church people were part of the devil's process of going after the man and woman of God's children. God's going to judge them for it. He'll deal with them for it. But we don't see what we're doing. We should never be speaking negative to anybody's child. We should be, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we should be building our children up. And encouraging them in the Lord and rebuking them when they're wrong. They're not going to like the rebuke because they don't like God to rebuke them. That's the prayer. But that's what we should be doing because of what God wants in our lives. So today, I don't know what a person may be going through in your personal life. But if there are some serious struggles you're going through, Turn your attention to God. Maybe God is trying to bring you back to him. Ask God what he's doing. Ask God what decision you need to make, what you, what you need to do. You can, the longer you go, the longer you reject God, the longer you refuse God, the longer you're going to go through what you go through. Bible says God is married to the backslider. God is not a God of divorce. So you stay in that backslidden situation until you lift up your eyes like Nebuchadnezzar and give God glory, give your life back to him. You're going to continue to go through. It just get worse though. It just get worse and worse. Get worse and worse. God allowed the Edomites to be destroyed. God allowed his own people to be taken into captivity. but it was for their good. That a remnant, listen now, 
that a remnant might lift up their eyes to him and give him glory. There may be somebody this morning. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord. In the day that you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Hear his voice. I may be talking to somebody online right now. You're watching me online. Hear his voice. You know what the Lord has been dealing with you about. Hear his voice. Say yes to the Lord. Surrender. Stand. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray that I've ministered your word effectively. I pray that you've spoken, not me. I pray that you've spoken. And I know that you have. To your people that are sitting in here, to your people that are listening online, as we stand in your presence, Father, forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Purge us like David prayed with hyssop and we shall be clean. Wash us the blood of Jesus. We shall be whiter than snow. Thank you for being a forgiving God. Thank you for loving us so much that you would do what you do to humble us, to prone us, to sharpen us so that we can be more effective in your work. Lord, we say yes to your will, yes to your way. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. Now if there is anyone, whether in the sanctuary or online, who needs to return from their backsliding ways and dedicate their lives to you. If there's anybody that's not saved, maybe they've never, they have never accepted you as Savior and Lord, but they heard your voice today speak to them. I pray that they will yield their lives to you today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If there is an unbeliever Watching us online, I believe everybody in here has confessed Christ as Savior and Lord. If you're watching us online and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, but you heard the voice of God because God has to reach to you. You're not just going to hear. God has to reach you. God is very active. You got to know that things don't happen by accident. God is very active. He's reaching to you. Will you say yes to him?
If you are an unbeliever, just pray this prayer. If you want to say yes to the Lord, to the Lord, join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe that you died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath that says the soul that sins shall surely die. The wrath that's poured out upon the unbeliever. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for satisfying God's wrath on my behalf. Thank you that through faith in you, I can be saved and be brought into fellowship with God. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me to save me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me, Lord. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of the message for today. I pray that you've been blessed by the message. And if you have, write to us. Let us know how this message has impacted your life. Or if you've made a decision for Christ today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, write to us and let us know that as well and give us your information so that we can follow up with you. You may write to us at Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. That's Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. Give us your email address or a way to contact you so that we can follow up with you. Also, we would like for you to sow into this ministry. If you've been blessed by this work, by the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, and you would like to help further this cause, we're not just preaching here in the United States. We are preaching around the world. Through this podcast, our messages are being heard in many places around the world. We are actively working in eight countries in the world, on the ground in Liberia, Malawi, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, and Dominican Republic. So if you'd like to help us in this work, feel free to sow a seed to help further the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expanding of the kingdom of God. If you would like to give, go to topraise.org forward slash give. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Continue to pray with us and for us as we continue to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless you.